Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Who Says No. I am one of your hosts, Sam Quinn. Not joining me today is Colin Moore Henninger because it is Father's Day. I think he's with his family. That's what he told me. Otherwise, it is. it was a crazy day in basketball, so I couldn't resist podcasting today. Joining me is a frequently mentioned character on this podcast, making his first appearance. My coworker, my friend from CBS Sports, Brad Botkin. Brad, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Let's do it. I don't, I don't think you realize how often you come up on this podcast. Whenever Andrew Wiggins' name is mentioned, Colin and I have to go on a rant about your ranking him for the season. You had him 47, right? 48. 48? 48. I, I'm it's a little just, disappointed by that because in my memory, every time I think of it, it's like it goes up three spots. So there are moments <laughs> where I think about it. It's like, did Brad have Wiggins 18th? Well, James James Herbert scalded me when he saw my he saw my list. I I may have folded to James's. Pre- I know I originally had him at forty eight. I'd have to go back and check the list because in in a criminal criminal uh, aggregation of our votes, he didn't even make the top one hundred. So I have to go and find the my original submission to see where I had him. But James saw my my ranking and. And was just floored that I had him above Sabonis, uh, and I, I think I'm I too. By the way, <laughs> I think I moved him back to like 51 or something because I thought, yeah, maybe I'm getting a little crazy, but yeah, I thought, yeah, man, I thought Wiggins would be would be really good, and it, you know, it just speaks to how much situation matters, which I think we're going to get into in this podcast of whether there's a better fit here where we can see the full potential of Ben Simmons outside of a Philadelphia uniform. Yeah, there's a lot in common there. I mean, obviously Ben Simmons is a far better player, but we're looking at a number one overall pick. Who I don't can't know about shoot. right now. Right well, now. I'm say- no, no, I'm saying we are looking at guys who are picked number one overall. Yeah. Who can't shoot, or at least aren't great shooters. Wiggins is obviously far better than Simmons is in that regard. Yeah. Great athletes. Like there are some similarities there. Simmons is a lot better but we just watched game seven of the second round between the Sixers and, and the even, even more, even more than just their skill sets. I think one of the biggest things that they have in common is the perception that they don't have the want to go and tap into their full potential. Uh, it's, it's far too easy for Simmons to disappear from games. He hasn't improved really at all offensively uh, in his, in his four years in the league. And, and that's the same thing that was said about Wiggins is that he just doesn't care enough. Didn't get better at anything, stayed inefficient, took the same bad shots. So I think from that standpoint is, is really more where their similarities stand. Well, I'll also say this. I think this is an important difference for all of Andrew Wiggins' flaws, and there are a lot of them. He would never take four shots in a playoff game. Never. Oh, like no, Andrew Wiggins, for all of his flaws, has a lot of self-confidence and it doesn't seem like Ben Simmons does at all. And I think the telling moment, the moment that I think Philly lost the game tonight was that play where Simmons spun around Gallinari and had a wide open dunk. And instead he passes to Thibel, Thibel gets fouled. He misses one of the free throws. And even Joel Embiid said after the game, you know, I think the turning point was that moment where we got one point instead of two. So what we're going to do now, I mean, I think before we start getting into specific trade destinations, I think it's worth asking just in general, are you 100% Philly should trade Simmons? Are you 80%? Like how, how certain do you think this is that they move him? They've got, to me, they've got to explore trading him really seriously, more seriously than they did um, in the off season. You know, I think that 
uh, in the offseason, this past offseason, they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. They didn't want to give up Simmons. They knew they needed another piece um, to win a championship. They knew they needed a playmaker, but they were trying to do it without giving up Simmons. Now they would have given up Simmons, or at least reports indicate that they would have given up Simmons to, to Houston had they been willing to give up Maxi. Uh, huge mistake if that was actually the truth. We don't really know if, if you know, the Rockets owner wanted to deal with Maury and all that. Um, but I, I think they explored trading Simmons this offseason or this past offseason. I think this offseason they have to make it a priority. I think the sad thing is if you go back a few years, they had so many chances to get the lead ball handler score type that they yeah. needed that they yeah. botched. I mean, forget about James Harden. They could have traded for Kawhi Leonard and they didn't. They had Jimmy Butler in the building and they let him walk away. You know, yeah. they trade up to number one and they take Mark Alfaults thinking he's that guy. If they just stayed at number three and taken Tatum, if Tatum had fallen there, we're having a different conversation now. Like time and time again, we look at how close they came to getting a guy that like, if they had Kawhi, they probably win the championship in 2019. If they well, keep Butler, they might win it now. I don't, there's no question. The only time that the Sixers have, have really been a true threat is when they had Jimmy Butler, right? They were one Kawhi Leonard game seven, four bounce game winner away from, from overtime in the conference finals um, or getting to the conference finals. And that was because for a very obvious thing, you know, we get so nuanced in our breakdowns of basketball these days. We're, we're um, really, uh, you know, we, we, I think sometimes basically in our sophistication of how we look at the game, we forget about the rudimentary basics of basketball. Um, and, and the bottom line is, they need somebody to create half-court offense. And that, that narrative gets so worn out that you try to find other ways to talk about it and different things that Simmons does or different ways they can use him. And the reality is when they had Jimmy Butler, they had the guy that could do it in the half-court, and then Ben Simmons was freed up to be a, a transition playmaker and a defender. And that's what they needed. And to your point about the number of opportunities that they've had to fill that, that hole in their roster – Forget if they would have gotten Tatum. Forget if they could have kept Butler. Like, they had Fultz. Like, that was the guy that was supposed to be that. And then it all went to hell. There was no forecasting what was going to happen to Markel Fultz. He was a three-level scorer. He was an off-the-ball creator or an on-ball on, on creator, off-the-dribble creator. Uh, and, and he was supposed to be what Philly was lacking. And so, yeah, they've had a lot of swings. I remember doing an interview with, with Elton Brand, um, I was talking to him up in Orlando when Jimmy Butler was making his debut for the Sixers. And I remember just the way he was talking about how, how desperately that team needed that. And, and the moves that, that Elton Brand made really put all their eggs in that basket, right? They go and give up all the shooting that they've ever had. I mean, think about the shooting that the Sixers have given up. Reddick gone, Covington gone, Saric gone, Ilyasova gone, Bellinelli gone, Shamit gone. All these things that Embiid and Simmons need, they give them all away, and then they and then they're forced into having to pay Tobias Harris, and now they're left with no assets, and it's all the eggs in this basket. So it's like everything has gone wrong to put the team in place that Ben Simmons needed to thrive. Now they lack the assets, I think, to go out and do it any other way than than trading him. And yeah, I think that's the important point here, right? Is like for a long time, there was a window where they could put the right team around Simmons and Embiid. But like now it's almost like Simmons has to die for their sins 
because they just don't have enough left. Like I think Tobias Harris is a really important place to start here. They give up. Well, let's trace this back a little bit further. They could have just taken Mikhail Bridges. They don't. They trade him for Zaire Smith. Andrew yeah, but he's not, he's not a playmaker though. No, he would but, he would have been a great fit there. Terrible trade turns out in hindsight, but still not what they were lacking. But they get this extra pick. That's the reason they do the trade, and they get it theoretically as an extra asset to trade for something else. And the thing they settle on is Tobias Harris, which it was right. a bad trade in itself because you go up two picks and you give up Landry Shamit. Then right. it compounds because I don't know if that's the reason Jimmy Butler is gone, but like it seems like they chose Harris over Butler. So, I mean, there's a lot there. And frankly, there are other organizational things that we have to acknowledge, right? Like if their medical staff was better, maybe Markel Fultz becomes the player that we think. If their organization was a bit stronger with Simmons, like maybe he would have grown as a player. And I saw some great video on Twitter tonight of him taking turnaround jumpers at Summer League and just thinking like, he's gotten worse. Like he's gotten less willing to shoot. So, I mean, even Doc Rivers, we can't absolve him here either. Like here's a great stat that I dug up after the game. Philly gave its bench players 69 minutes tonight. The Nets and Bucks combined in game seven, a game seven that went to overtime in which a starter had fouled out. The Nets and Bucks combined to give their bench guys 49 minutes. Like, there you go. That's all you have to know. The organization has failed at every stage here. This isn't all Ben Simmons. And if you're trading Ben Simmons, you're creating as many problems as you solve, right? Like you're getting worse on defense. You're getting worse in transition. You're taking away playmaking. But we're at a point here where, like, there's just nothing else to do. There are no other moves. Well, and that, you're exactly right. They, they, have, they, have, they have backed themselves into a corner to where now they have – because the clock is ticking now. They have completely expedited their timeline. They have put themselves on the clock. Uh, when they went out and made the Butler and Harris moves, right, those were, those were expedited moves because they felt like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were ready to win. And so now you've established that, and there's no turning back from it. They gave up all their assets to, to all the points that you just made. So there have been a lot um, of failures, I think, in this whole, you know, no pun intended process. Um, I think that it, at the end of the day, a few of those things could have gone differently, and, and maybe things work out differently. But, but I will say that all of those things that would have needed to happen – for this to end up in a different place than we're sitting here right now on the heels of a game seven loss in the second round would have been to compensate for Ben Simmons. So it's not to absolve him of, of, of his place in this, his place in this, in my mind, and I've written this, I've said this for years, um, have always been true. His, his inadequacies have always been a hurdle that was going to hold the 76ers back. I've always believed that. I've always said it, even when he was at his best and was everybody's favorite player and an all-star and, and everything else that, that everybody loved about him. Um, so all those things that would have needed to happen, that could have happened, uh, they needed those to happen to compensate for Ben Simmons, not to compliment him, to compensate. And that is a, a big, big difference. Well, the last thing I want to say also is just it's so it's so difficult to find the right place for Ben Simmons because all of these issues that Philly has, other teams would theoretically have. Right. Like most teams don't just have a spare ball handler to give Philly and somebody to support Simmons and a stretch big like it's a really complicated set of circumstances that you need to make Simmons succeed. 
And when Philly was like early in the process and they still had all those assets, they might've been able to create that, those circumstances. Now it just doesn't look like it. So let's just dive into some of the fake trades I have. And if you have any others, you can throw them in there too. Here's the obvious one. And we're going to hear this until this situation is settled one way or another. We are going to hear about the Portland Trailblazers constantly because they have two elite ball handlers. So theoretically they have one to spare. They have Norman Powell who can fill in for the guard that they lose. They sorely need defense. And they're right now in a situation where like something has to change for them as well. They've lost in the first round four out of five years. Here is my trade. I think Philly is going to ask for Damian Lillard, and I think they're going to be told no. Here's the compromise that I've settled that. CJ McCollum and Robert Covington for Ben Simmons and George Hill. Who says no? I hope neither. I mean, this to me, the com- th- this whole podcast ends right here. I'm, I'm interested to hear your your other thoughts, but I mean, this is just too obvious to go any other way. And and it's for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it, it fills both needs, right? I mean, obviously, the the Blazers have to do something about their defense. And as much as Neil Olshay believes that bringing in a new coach and somebody that emphasizes defense is going to take them from 29th to I don't know, it's what not. Top- <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, defense is roster-based. I used to love that when people used to say Mark Jackson ushered in this defensive mentality with the Warriors. No, they drafted Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson worked tirelessly with Darren Ehrman and became an elite defender, and they traded for Andrew Bogut, and they had an elite rim protector and one of the smartest defenders in the NBA. Uh, and so that's why they became an elite defensive unit. And they, they, went they out stayed and they- great on defense with Steve Kerr, by the way. We only ever uh-huh. talked about what Steve Kerr did for the offense. They were the, I think they were top five in defense most of those years. 100%. So, so defense, even more than offense, is personnel. You, you cannot play defense without the right personnel. And the, and, the, and, the, and, and the Blazers are just behind the eight ball from the start because they're, they're going to be at a deficiency at the point of attack every possession, playing C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard at, in its backcourt. I mean, this is the new John Wall and Bradley Beal. We know this backcourt has hit its ceiling. It has to be broken up. And like the Sixers, the Blazers really don't have a lot of options. They don't have young assets in the, in the form of draft picks. I don't think they have a first-round pick until 2025 to trade. Uh, and they don't have young assets. I mean, Nasir Little, maybe Anthony Simons on a smaller deal level, but nobody that's going to get anybody excited. Uh, and so they have to move a core piece. And it just so happens that the Sixers are in that same position, no young assets that anybody cares about, really. I mean, maybe Maxie. I mean, we'll get into him, I guess. He's, to me, as a trade asset, he's not some big blockbuster he's guy. He's a lottery ticket. That's what he is. Yeah. Like, there's a 10% chance that he's really good, and there's a 90% chance he's just a bench guy. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I don't think he's anybody that's going to be driving a blockbuster deal, is my point. And, and, and yet and, he was the sticking point in the Harden yeah. trade. Well, if that's true, that's a whole other podcast. I, I'm going to just hold out hope that the Rockets wouldn't do business with, with the Sixers in, in the background of all this. I, I but, think, but it, honestly, the, I think what happened was they just wanted Brooklyn's fix. I think it was that simple. Yeah. And if Brooklyn, if the big three flames out in a couple of years and those, you know, long play draft picks in 2025 and on pay off, then that'll be a good move. But, but anyway, the Sixers are in the same position where they don't, they're going to have to trade a core piece to move because they don't have the young assets. They don't have the draft picks. They're really limited in that regard. And what do you know? Exactly what Portland needs and exactly what Philadelphia needs is sitting there on a platter, two teams that have to shake this up. 
It works salary wise. It works fit wise. Um, I, I do not know. And maybe they are, but if Neil Olshi and if Neil Olshi and Daryl Morey are not on the phone right now, I mean, I'm on this podcast right now. I'm, I'd be on the phone if I would, and if they're not working this deal out right now, I don't know what either of them are doing. I cannot I have, for the life of me figure out why this trade wouldn't be done ASAP. I have to guess that we're still in the, hey, will you give us Damian Lillard phase of these negotiations? But I think that's going to pass pretty quickly. I have a couple of problems here. Well, how can, how can you even ask that? That's like the guy in your fantasy league who's asking, you know, back when like Calvin Johnson was playing and he, he was trying to give you like his flex play for Calvin Johnson. Like, you're after what Ben Simmons just did, you're honestly even going to throw out Damian Lillard. Like, don't even make that call. You got to be kidding me. Brad, that's what this podcast is. Five days ago, I came on this show and suggested Luka Doncic for Jamal Murray and Michael Porter. So we are well beyond the realms of reality here. But you're right. There's no way Portland that's is going to do that's that a trade. Far, listen, Sam, that's a far more realistic trade. Far there's a one percent chance of that one not one percent there's a point one percent chance of that happening right now simmons for lillard is just it's not happening i've got a couple oh of problems God. on the portland side here number one if portland is giving up covington too how much of a defensive improvement is this really simmons is better i don't know how much better you get there powell is obviously pretty small you're still gonna have a small backcourt you're still gonna struggle at the point of attack I guess Simmons can guard other stars one-on-one, -on -one, but then you just screen off of him. And then my other concern here is what do you do with Yusuf Nurkic? Because he's not going to – like you don't want to have a non-shooting center with Simmons. So I think you have to find a way – I think hopefully Zach Collins is healthy next year. I don't know, but you've got to find a way to turn Nurkic into something if you're Portland. I'm not super optimistic about that. Do you think there's any chance that could work? Yeah, I do because, one, Nurkic is expiring. So, I mean, I, there's definitely a way that you can get off him for something. Um, I also think they can work together. I mean, to me, the, the key is Nurkic isn't a stretch five, but he's not an on-the-block five either. Um, he's he's going he's gonna to do a lot of rolling with, with Damian Lillard. He can step out to the arc. I think there is more of a chance uh, to – because – when you, when you start stretching Joel Embiid, and that's another layer to this conversation in terms of their fit, is that how much Joel Embiid is playing a face-up game now. Uh, and it, it really completely removes Simmons from the equation. You know, like when, when, when you're giving Embiid the ball at the high post, there's just really nothing you can do with Simmons. It, he's, he's really lost out there. And I, I think compromising Embiid is just too big of a grenade to jump on. But compromising Nurkic a little bit, and having him bend to the will of Ben Simmons a little bit, and maybe he's not a perfect stretch guy, but you use him for that just because it's more important to fit Simmons in. Yeah, I, I think they can play together. I think there's a potential deal out there, if not with Nurkic on an expiring deal. And I, I don't think Robert Covington is even close to the defender that Ben Simmons is. So there's no question in my mind that, that Ben Simmons upgrades there. And this is not even considering the fact that I, I'm – I'm halfway convinced that Ben Simmons should be a center anyway. So Well, yeah, they would know, close with him at center if they did this. Exactly. So you're, yeah. you're talking about down the stretch of, uh, of the Denver series, they've got Carmelo Anthony guarding Nikola Jokic, and I, and I believe Covington was doing a lot of it. So Ben Simmons is going to be the effective center in that thing. He's going to be the new Draymond Green. Uh, it, it would allow Damian Lillard to truly, if, you know, they want to change philosophies. 
under Terry Stotts, the defense got a lot of the heat, but their offense for all the high rankings, I, I throw out the rankings when it comes to playoff basketball. That doesn't indicate how good of shots you're going to get in the playoffs. And Portland under Terry Stotts did not create good shots. They, they, I shouldn't say they didn't create good shots, but they didn't create great shots. They had great shot makers and they relied on that. And that to me has a ceiling and they didn't, Terry Stotts didn't care if it was Carmelo Anthony or CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard creating or Norman Powell or even Rodney hood when he'd get it going, like he would let anybody create their shot because there wasn't really much sophistication or off ball movement to that, to that offense. And so while Neil Olshay is saying, wants to bring in a defensive coach, he's also going to bring in a coach that's going to want to change up a few things offensively. I'm not saying they're going to go to the, to the Warriors system, but in some vein of that approach of, of easing Damian Lillard's burden and getting somebody that can run high post offense like a Ben Simmons that can run transition offense and get Damian Lillard off the ball to some degree. Um, to me, there's, there's, an, there's an offensive element to this as well. As much as right now it sort of looks like you kind of have to think of Ben Simmons as a defensive upgrade and hide him on offense. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are places, Portland being one of them, where he still can be a, a, a more athletic, taller Draymond Green. And that's a scary player. Well, so I think the places where you can find that system and put it in place are thin. And Portland is one of them. Well, you bring up Draymond, and thank you for not stealing my point. Think of the short role Draymond has had in Golden State. When Curry, when they run high pick and roll and defenses blitz, Curry, yeah. Draymond just gets a four on three downhill. Think of how far back Damian Lillard runs high screens. It's like almost at half court at this point. Think about how much downhill space Simmons would have doing that. And think about how dangerous a passer he would be if he had these four on threes with like Norman Powell, Zach Collins, and Anthony Simons on the floor with him. Like that would be a really, really dangerous late game play. And you could just spam that over and over again, like Golden State has with Draymond. So offensively, I agree with you. I think he'd be a great fit there. Defensively, he's an upgrade on Covington. But the question is, how good are you on defense if you have Simmons and not much else? I think you could get up to like average, but the goal there would obviously be you're an elite offense and uh, average enough defense. I think they'd need a few more moves, but you're right. That's well, the easiest one on the board. You can't take care of everything in, in one move. So, you know, I think Simmons immediately make, give, makes them capable of being an average defensive team, which is then, which is all you're really asking them to right. be with Damian Lillard. And it's also a more valuable sort of average, right? Like Robert Covington is a good ceiling raiser, or rather a good floor raiser on most defenses in that he's so good off the ball. He's such a good helper that, like, he'll make everybody a little bit better. But, like, Simmons is the guy that you throw on an opposing star. And if you can mess with the opposing star, even if you have issues elsewhere, like, that's going to help your defense a lot more in the playoffs. The Philly side of things really quickly, what I like about this, aside from CJ and Embiid, is that you have so much optionality with the role players, right? Like, you still have Thibel, you still have Green, you still have, you're getting Covington, you're getting him back. Um, that's a lot of defense you can throw on the floor, but you still have Curry and you still have Harris, so you can kind of design your, your lineups to be as offense-heavy or as defense-heavy as you need. I think if they can get both, I'd even give up a pick to do that if I were Philly. Yeah, I, no question. I mean, I think we just we talked a lot about the Blazers, but Philly's 
I, I mean, in the, in the, in the spirit of this podcast, who sa- who says no, I, I think that, that Philly would be the team that you'd have to convince. I mean, I think the Blazers would do this tomorrow. Uh, I mostly and, and, agree. I think it would just be a matter of like the details here. I think the core Portland would be on board with. Well, I mean, you're the money guy. I mean, do they really have to involve Hill and, and Covington? I mean, they, we can't they, do well, a, a Simmons swap. Well, they can do that. The issue is, I just think Philly would want more. So my thought is, if they're doing this, they want to replace some of the defense that they're losing in Simmons. So yeah, that's well, why they're asking for Covington. They also, they also wanted Maxi. I mean, they can win a championship next year with CJ McCollum. I think they so, need I mean, to be a little bit better on defense. I think if you're Philly, you'd probably like yeah. your path to the title is like number six on offense, number four on defense. You can, but you, you're beggars. You're being a chooser here. You know, you, you they are they are not winning right now. You're trying to cover everything. You you can't. You, they're not going to. Ben Simmons does not have that value for what they need. The the upgrade in what CJ McCollum brings them, and the downgrade of what they lose with Ben Simmons. The, the, the discrepancy plays out in Philly's favor. There's no question. And they are not going to replicate that with another deal. So the choice is run it back with Simmons. No thanks. Or you go out and you get the best deal you can. There is nobody right now that fits what they need more than C.J. McCollum. And their defense will still be fine. We're seeing in this, in this although Milwaukee's been fantastic, but, and, and well, I guess I'm disproving my point. I mean, Phoenix has been uh, unbelievable too on the defensive end. Um, but defense isn't what it used to be where you have to be this elite defensive team, right? We, we accept now the idea that you can win offensively. Never mind the fact that Joel Embiid is still the heart of Philadelphia's defense. And Matisse Tybel is a be- I'm saying this, is a better defender than Ben Simmons. So you slot him into the starting lineup. You play McCollum and Curry. You've got scoring on the perimeter. You've got shooting. You've got one-on-one creation. You've got pick and roll play. And you've got Embiid anchoring it on both sides. I just don't know how you can microwave a championship, which is what they have to do now. There's no more building. They've got to microwave a championship contender. This, they're on, they get C.J. McCollum. They are the second-best team in the East next year. No question. But if Thibel is starting, they can't close with him because then you have the wow. same problems you had with Simmons. No, you so don't. Not even, not even close. Not even close. Ben Simmons is a complete zero. You're, you're losing you, – you've got to put this in perspective of how bad he has become, the liability that he is. Matisse Teibel is just another one of these NBA guys who just happens to not be a great shooter. He made some big shots tonight. He has made three-pointers, and that's a guy that I would suspect will work on his shot in the offseason. He has a good shot. It's fine. That guy can be a 34% shooter. I believe He's he was as a rookie. I'm looking this up. Yeah, yeah, he shot thirty-five no. percent as a rookie on two point four attempts. Like that's not. It's bad. not even. That's, he's not yeah. even close to the same problem that you have with Ben Simmons, especially with Curry and McCollum on the court. Again, it's 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 exacerbated that Tybo can't shoot when you're talking about how, playing him with Ben Simmons because that's when they're at the defensive best. But you can't do that. One guy that can't shoot that's a defensive special, or, or I should say that isn't a great shooter that's a defensive specialist is not a problem. Well, I think that's fair. And I mean, look up and down the last few champions, right? Like the Raptors had nobody that couldn't shoot. The Warriors had plenty of guys that couldn't shoot. The Lakers had plenty of guys that couldn't shoot. As long as you manage your rotations correctly, I think yeah. you're right there. You can make that work. I'd still feel a little queasy about closing with Bible. I'll tell you what though, for now we'll keep Covington out. 
I'll go through these other trades. If the Sixers don't find anything they like better, then they do the trade without Covington. But if they find something they like a little bit more, maybe they can force the, the Blazers to give up Covington. Here's my next one. It is lottery dependent. Let's say hypothetically, right now Minnesota has the six best odds in the lottery. The lottery is on Tuesday. Let's say they either get number one and they take Cade Cunningham or they get number three and they take Jalen Suggs. Anthony Edwards is a franchise player. They're not like he's going to be there no matter what. At that point, what do you do with D'Angelo Russell? Because you're not going to bring him off the bench and you're not going to start three guards when Carl Anthony Towns is your center. Like that's just totally untenable on, on defense. So what about D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley for Simmons and Hill? If, they, yeah, if the lottery goes the way that they want. I don't, I mean, I don't hate that. Obviously the Portland one's better. I mean, you're talking about CJ versus D'Angelo. Um, I don't hate it though, because I, I obviously, and this is the road you're going down and everyone's in agreement on this, that, that they have to get a playmaker out of this. Um, and, and D'Angelo Russell fits the bill. He, he was really good actually in Minnesota when he played in terms of what he does. I think we, we know what he doesn't do. I, I don't, I don't look at D'Angelo Russell and think that's a guy that's going to pull the Wiggins and go to a different situation and become a championship player. I really think you can win a champ, not as a top two or maybe even three player, but I think you can win a championship with Andrew Wiggins. I don't think anybody would have said that uh, a year ago. I don't know that that's true of D'Angelo Russell. I think he was in a perfect situation in Brooklyn when, when Dinwiddie went out. Um, and, and I don't think that a guy like that going to Philadelphia and running heavy pick and roll and needing the ball a, a lot, I, he's just, if you want to talk about them being worried about their defense getting worse, that they're going to be miserable at the point of attack. Russell is about even, as bad as it gets. I'm not even sure you could finish with him. Um, I mean, I would consider the deal if I was Philadelphia because it fits the bill on paper, playmaker. Um, but I would not be terribly excited about that. I, frankly, I'd be more excited about Beasley. So, well, that's kind of the other thing. I think there's a small part of me that thinks right now D'Angelo Russell is already the third best guard on the Blazers, or on the Wolves, rather. Now, obviously, he's politically more important than that because he's so close with Towns. But in basketball terms, I think having an exit valve on this, you couldn't get Towns behind most trades for Russell, but maybe you could get him behind it if you're getting Simmons. Um, I think the fundamental problem with Russell... Simmons, Simmons and Towns would be a fantastic pairing. Oh, they need that defense so bad. I mean, who's the best defender on the Wolves right now? Is it Josh Okoge? Nas Reed? <laughs> I'm at I, a I, loss. Would say, I, I would say Okoge. I don't think Towns won, I, you know... I don't think Towns is a terrible defender, um, and I think some of the some of the, the the stuff that Simmons brings in terms of just sort of creating chaos defensively, where it doesn't always have to be structurally sound, where Towns can I think athletically be on the back end of some of that chaos that he creates. I think can be a better defender, but but more the offense with with the stretch shooting, it's it's a perfect offensive setup. Um, so I, I Towns shot. Towns shot eight threes a game last season. Yeah. Like, and, he's and Towns, perfect for Simmons. He's, yeah. I mean, listen, and those aren't even like typical stretch big shots. I mean, he's like coming off picks. Right. You know, so, so like, yeah, he's, he's perfect. Another, that's another deal that I think 
I think the the other team other than the Sixers would jump at same same as I think Portland would jump at a McCollum deal or they should uh, Minnesota would jump at that I just uh, I, I if I had if I was running the Sixers I would probably run it back with Ben Simmons before I would trade for D'Angelo Russell would you trade Ben Simmons for the number three pick if Minnesota got it or is that too much of a timeline shifter right like Jalen Suggs might be that guy but yeah, can you I wait would. three years for him to get there? No. Maybe there's a three-teamer where you trade the lottery pick somewhere else. I, I don't know. Well, that's what, that's, what, that's what you start getting into is you, right. you bring in a third team and, you, and then you involve these high picks. So That's what, uh, that three-teamer that I had proposed to you earlier, okay. which I guess – The floor is yours. Well, this doesn't involve a draft pick, but I, I proposed – what was it? Simmons to Golden State, Draymond to Portland, and CJ to – and I guess to your point, I don't know why you even need to involve Golden State because what we're doing is is we're getting Simmons to Portland and, and CJ to um, to Philadelphia. I mean, maybe this is just the Northern California blood in me that I'm trying to get the, the Warriors involved here. Um, but I do think that Simmons in, in Golden State is is another place, obviously, that he could thrive. You know, well, he, he, could, uh, he could be a small five. He could be a playmaking guy, and and the reason that the Warriors haven't had interest in him in the past is because they can't pair him with Draymond. But right, I mean, Draymond, there's so yeah. much redundancy there. But if the the issue is, you're right. I don't know what you do with Draymond there. I mean, I think Lillard would love to play with Draymond. Like, I think he would really be oh, behind they, that. Yeah, they lobbied for that. Yeah, but I, I think the Portland side of it is why wouldn't we just take Simmons? So that's tough. You'd have to find another trade for Draymond and like. Listen, I love Draymond. Draymond is a little like Simmons in that he's very hard to accommodate. You have to have the right sort of team around him. I don't know how many there are. And like all the things I keep thinking of just aren't right from a value perspective. Like the thought crossed, crossed my mind, like maybe you do this. Maybe you say, hypothetically, we're sending out Wiseman and the Minnesota pick and we're getting Simmons and Philly is sending that stuff somewhere else. But then we trade Draymond for Chris Saps Porzingis. So we have more shooting. But that's ridiculous and will never happen because Draymond is more valuable than Porzingis and like the Warriors wouldn't break up for that. It just, it gets a little too complicated, but I see what you're saying. Like, and the other part of it is like, honestly, how many non-shooters have the Warriors put with those guys in the past? Like Steve Kerr is not against playing two non-shooters at once. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's crazy, but I don't think it's likely. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't think it either because to to the to the earlier point I don't I don't think you need to involve Golden State but yeah um you know I, I think that right now we're all in this mindset of of all these teams that kind of feel one move away and how can we involve them and and, and uh you know get something going and the Warriors are one of those teams have I told but, you uh, my Warriors trade like the one that I'm most excited about and that Colin chastised me for. Mm, hopefully it involves Wait, uh, Wiseman. Wiseman, Minnesota pick, Wiggins, all of their other picks for Damian Lillard. My thought is, this isn't on the <laughs> table to be clear, but my thought is like Brooklyn has just shown all that really matters is shot creation, right? Like if they can survive on defense with Kyrie and Harden, why can't the Warriors survive with Lillard and Curry? Because they have Draymond too. Like the Nets don't have a Draymond. That's my dream trade. It's not going to happen. I have one more D'Angelo Russell point. Again, I, I wouldn't be super excited about this from Billy's perspective. I will say the fundamental problem with D'Angelo Russell is that to maximize his value, 
he has to be the guy who has the ball all the time. And the problem is, if he's the guy that has the ball all the time, for most teams, you're just not going to be good enough, right? So, like, it kind of creates a paradox. Philly is sort of an exception there because their other star is Embiid. So, like, you have a star center who scores in very different ways. So, if Russell is more of, like, a secondary guy, that works a little bit better. But you're right. I'm not super excited about that one. And I'm not super excited about many of the others. I'll throw this out there. This is a classic who says no, just a one-for-one swap. And I think I know where you're going to go with it. But Ben Simmons for Zach Levine, who says no? Ben Simmons for Zach Levine, who says no? Hmm. I'll throw this out there because I think in basketball terms, Levine is probably more valuable. But Levine is on an expiring contract and Simmons has four years left. So if you're the Bulls, you give yourself much more of a timeline by doing this. Yeah, um, I mean, that would obviously be, you know, I would assume, I think we do this with the assumption that Philly gets assurance that Levine is going to sign. Or, you know, yes. maybe they don't, and it's like they're at least they're off Simmons' money. I don't know where their cap would stand. The um, issue is Harris because he's at the max, so they can't really get to max base. Yeah, I, then I think they'd have to have assurance. And, and if they get that, yeah, I would do that. I, I, uh, who says no? Again, that neither. I mean, I think that Philly has to be so urgent to get some semblance of a return for Ben Simmons that fills the hole that they need. McCollum is one. Levine's younger and arguably a better player offensively. Um, so I think they both. I, I think that Philly says yes to that, and I think I think Chicago does too. I mean, I still think Simmons has that cachet around the league of a locked up. I hate using the word star. I don't think he's that, but I think he's seen as that. And I think that, that teams would still be sort of salivating to have him locked up and giving him a, a, a new, a new set of circumstances. So I, I think that's a deal that could get done too. I don't, I don't know that somebody says no. I like the idea of Simmons with Vucevic. I mean, he's not like, you know, he's not towns. He's not taking eight threes a game. But I think if you had to park him behind the arc pretty frequently, he'd mostly be okay with that. I think you could stagger them offensively. He'd protect him defensively. I just, more than anything, I'm kind of confused about what the Bulls are doing right now. Like, what do you really have if you have Levine and Vucevic? I don't know. Like, there's nothing there that I'm particularly enthused about. Like, I guess you could maybe be a sixth seed. I, I just, I don't know. Like, it's a weird situation because weird they can either... Go ahead. They can either use their cap space to renegotiate and extend Levine, but if they do, they can't use that space to get help, or they can use that space to get help, but then Levine's just going to say, okay, I'm going to be a free agent next offseason, and I'm going to see what's out there for me. So they're kind of in a lose-lose situation right now. Well, what's their cap? what is their space situation? They can get to not quite the max, but they can get to meaningful space, like the 15, 20 million range, but... I think there's an assumption that if they're creating cap space, they're going to give Levine a raise to extend him. And I think that would vaporize most of the space. So right. like, there's not so really you, a scenario where like you sign, re-sign that Levine. Okay. So that's the question. They can't get yeah. to, to anything close to max space and keep Levine. Well, they so can't, this, well, they can keep him. They just can't renegotiate and extend. Right. So like they can keep him at his current number and then use their cap space this off season to like, and get pretty close to the max and maybe sign Lonzo ball or sign another point guard. But if you do that, 
then Levine is going to become a free agent next offseason and probably look around elsewhere. Yeah. Well, that's what Miami wanted to do with Bam. You know, and, and some guys just, you know, understandably, they want to get the money. So uh, I don't know. That had to be a conversation that they that they would have with Levine. But I, but I think the, the bigger point here is this is why Portland, again, is, is the right fit because – Simmons isn't ready to come in and replace a Levine and make Chicago really anything different than they are with Levine. But he actually, but Portland is actually ready to win with Simmons. So it's like a team like Chicago, you'd more be making that deal. I'm not even sure you care how he fits with Vucevic. Like it's more of like a two, three years down the road thing where you build a team with four shooters and you let him kind of be two years ago, Giannis. Um, and so that's why Portland is, is the right team because they're ready to win right now. And Simmons gives them what they need. If you're, if you're sending them to a team like Chicago for Levine, it's like, now you have to start evaluating player for player. And it's like, how much better is Simmons than Levine? Like Chicago still just going to be what Chicago is maybe worse. So it's the, it's the perfect thing in Portland. I'll just give another point in Portland's favor on that front. I think the fact that Dame is there and has set such a positive culture would be very helpful for Simmons. Like think about what the Sixers were when he came in, they were still in the process. Right. And like, they've been pretty heavily criticized for some of their player development stuff for their failures to hold guys accountable. I don't think Simmons would get to Portland and start shooting threes, but I think he would get to Portland and like Lillard would have the cachet to tell him, this is how you have to play. No question. I, I do think you're right there versus, Chicago and this this experience is is his humbling Ben's I mean Ben Simmons thought and probably to some degree still thinks he's the shit you know and 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 this has been a I think for even for him has been an eye-opener that if if hypothetically he ends up on the Blazers next year he's he's gonna have been humbled from this experience and humbled next to Damian Lillard I just we're gonna go over you're, you're gonna have a few more ideas but I I'm I don't know how we're going to beat the Blazers. They, they better be on the phone right now, but what's next? Here is, I think, the last, my last stand in trying to convince you that it's not Portland. So you talked about the, the 2019 Giannis scenario where it's just Simmons and a bunch of shooters. Here's yeah. the team that can do that. Ben Simmons for Pascal Siakam, who says no. Yeah, I was thinking about Toronto before we got on the pod. <sighs> so I think the issue for Philly – is you don't know what version of Siakam you're getting. Because if you're getting the one that won a championship and was a really good shooter, or the one that was an all-NBA player last year, you just say, great, we do this in a heartbeat. You don't lose too much defensively. You lose a little bit as a playmaker. But he shot 29% on threes this year. And if that's who he is, and we don't know if that's who he is, but if that's who he is... He's not. He's not. He's somewhere in between. Like, he's he's not. He's 33 34%. But here's the thing that you got to focus on. All of these deals have to be about as long as a playmaker is in some capacity is coming back to Philadelphia, all of these deals have to be looked at through the lens of the team receiving Simmons because Philly needs to get rid of him. So you've got to be asking yourself why Toronto wants Simmons, not can the Sixers stomach Pascal Siakam as a 33% shooter. They got to make not, they don't, they're not going to get the perfect move. If they can get Siakam, as long as McCollum is off the table, that's the number one. If they can't get that deal and Toronto comes in and throws Siakam at him, take it. 
So take it. You've got to get off. That's where we started this podcast. They have to get off Simmons. And they might have to eat a little bit to do it. But if they offer me Siakam tomorrow, listen, Siakam and Ben Simmons are still to some degree both upside plays. I don't think either anybody thinks either of those guys are fully developed. So why not chase the upside with Siakam? I mean, at worst, you're coming out even. There's, those guys are going to be, I think, I, I think it's actually a pretty interesting conversation that if I had to guess 10 years from now, like just in, not in terms of fit or where they fit on certain teams or the particular skills that they bring, but just pure and simple value on a team. I think Siakam and Simmons are pretty neck and neck for how their careers are going to turn out. In oh, terms let me of ask how you this. They're going to be. Do you ever think that Ben Simmons is going to have an individual season as good as the one Siakam had last year where he was second team all NBA and he averaged 25 points. And for a minute we were saying like, is he a fringe MVP candidate? I don't know if Simmons ever gets to that level, but I'll point this out. If we're doing the Giannis 2019, a bunch of shooters route, well, you could re-sign Kyle Lowry. You have Gary Trent. You have Fred Van Vliet. You have OG Ananobi. Chris Boucher can play some of your center minutes. That's a lot of shooting and that's a lot of defense. So if you do that, like with Nick Nurse as the coach too, as maybe the best defensive coach in basketball, you're talking about like a top three defense, a great transition offense, which is how they were so good after Kawhi left, by the way. They were mediocre in, in half court, but they scored so much in transition that they were okay. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting fit. And how the side jury is always looking for stars. Like he's willing to take risks. He traded for Kawhi in the first place. So this could be that sort of risk for him where he's like, this isn't a sure thing. I can't get a sure thing to come to Toronto and stay. So I'm going to really, you know, take a risk here. Well, and then the other thing you do is you move off Lowry. I mean, you sign and trade him. Like, I think that you, I think that you go and, and I still think Lowry's a really good player. I mean, you know, maybe there's a sign and trade in there. Forget Siakam. Like, I, I don't know if there's a sign and trade in there for Lowry and Simmons. But the issue with that is cap. Because if you're Philly and you sign and trade for somebody, you get hard capped and they haven't beaten Harris already. So fitting three guys like that with a hard cap gets kind of dicey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sign and trade hard caps. You, I mean, there's way, I think there's ways to, to figure that out. I'm not a cap guru, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that if the Sixers wanted Lowry and, and the Raptors wanted Simmons, I think they could work it out. I kind of always think everything could be worked out, but yeah, I, I like, I do like that idea on, on Toronto. And I like, I think that they would love the fact that Simmons is locked up. Right, right like after the Kawhi thing, yeah, that's, that's yeah. They, they 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 would love that he's locked up. Outside of Kawhi, it's still not a place that they can depend on year in year out. Bringing in, I think they're a team that's like, where are we? Like, we like Van Vliet, we like Ananobi, we like Siakam, but like, how are we going to get that next player, that Kawhi? Um, and if you believe Simmons can become that kind of player, and I mean, you kind of again, you can't be a chooser. I, I don't I don't hate that for either side. Yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't you want to keep Lowry? Would you be trying to trade him for somebody younger? Like, I think you'd want to keep Lowry just as like a half court offense security blanket. Well, because I th- I don't I don't think that the again this is why I think Portland is perfect. The, the Raptors aren't going to win anything with Simmons instead of Siakam next year. So Lowry's just prolonging the inevitable to me. You're not going to bring Simmons in and be trying to win next year. So the so goal I'd then be- is you're turning him into like something younger then. Exactly. You're, 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 you're building for three years from now, two years from now, with Ben Simmons in control of a team that suits him. And they develop players so well that, like, That's if right. they trade Lowry for a first-round pick or, like, 
a first round pick and a young guy, That's then right. you could convince me that like in three years, they're going to have two or three more good players that have just come through their pipeline. So I'm into that too. Here's my last team. I can't get the exact trade right, but I think the team is interesting. What about Indiana? Because like they have to do something that team, like just given the, the run of mediocrity they've had, I think anything's on the table. They've got to break up the centers. But what I have here is Brogdon and Warren for Simmons. And then my thought is you trade Sabonis somewhere else after that for a perimeter guy. I just don't know where you trade him because the one team that seemed willing to give up a bunch of stuff for an all offense center was Chicago and they've already done it. So my issue with this one is I don't know what you do with Sabonis because you've got to have Turner, the shooting center next to Simmons to make this work. Yeah, that's that. That's uh, I. I tend to think usually in these trades, like I think you're overrating. What do you do with Nurkic in Portland? In in this case, I mean, to me, I, you make the trade for the player that you need. In this case, I I think you're right. I don't think there's any way you can really pair, um, pair Sabonis, Turner, and 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 Simmons. Uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah, Sabonis hasn't stretched. You know, as much as I kind of thought he would stretch more. Um, well, it's funny because in his rookie year, he took a bunch of threes with the Thunder, and then he gets yeah. to the Pacers, and the Pacers tell him to stop shooting threes. He started creeping back up this year. I think he might have topped his rookie year, but like that's a really rare development for a big man. Like Bigs tend not to come into the NBA shooting and then stop, but he did. Yeah, I don't necessarily look at him as a guy who's incapable in the, in the midsection of his career to, to stretch a little bit. Yeah, you know, the issue for me is I want Sabonis more than Turner. So I'm not sure that I want Turner and Simmons together so much that, that Turner then becomes the guy that I don't trade. I mean, I still think Turner is the, is the trade guy there. Um, I mean, the, the counterpoint is if you have Simmons and Turner, your defense is going to be awesome. No, you're really good. You're really good. But, I mean, are you sort of the Sixers? You know, like – With worse offense, too. Exactly. Like, you, you still don't – then, you know, minus Brogdon – I mean, we're rolling out with McConnell and, you know, whoever else they pick up. Like, well, so Harrison now we don't have... Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's the Tobias Harris of the, of the equation. You know, they're not going to have any perimeter creation or speak, shooting to speak of. Uh, and they're going to have a worse Joel Embiid. Um, so I don't know what that solves. I don't like that. Yeah, I just, I think, th- I think Indiana would love to get in on this. I just don't think there's a way to make it work just all around. Indiana's so another I, one of those teams that if they do the trade, they've got to they got to start dumping bodies, and, right. and they got to build around Simmons. Like they're not, like Indiana, Toronto. Those are there's very few teams out there that are going to make a trade for Simmons that he's going to suddenly be the missing piece. I mean, if he can't help Philly win with Embiid and Harris and Seth Curry and all that whole deal, how's he going to help Indiana or or Toronto? That's why Portland is like he will help. Like I mean. If Ben Simmons just gets his head screwed on straight at the at the free throw line, I'm putting Portland like right there with Phoenix and Utah and maybe everyone next year. I mean, it's they can win. They're a better team with Ben Simmons than CJ McCall. Can I just say I would it would make me so happy if Ben Simmons came out next year and shot granny style free throws. <laughs> I mean, he can't be any worse. I, I hate to say this, it's not this simple. But I think if Ben Simmons shot granny style free throws, they would have won this series. Is that crazy? Well, or maybe on KOC, if, you know, if, if he would have shot right-handed. I, I saw mean, that it. I don't know. I think that's too much of a mystery. But like, it's impossible well, 
to shoot less than like 60% granny style. It's so easy. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I don't know what I could make. I mean, I, uh, I don't know if I could make 60 pre granny's hard, but maybe if you're such a bad normal shooter, I, I don't know. I will say this. Simmons does not have as bad a free throw stroke as these numbers would indicate. I mean, I, I, he, I look at that guy and I sort of think the same thing as Giannis. Like, when he airballs and then swishes the next one, it's they both look the same. It's just it, it is a complete head game. I mean, from a form standpoint, Giannis has got really good arc. Simmons shoots a flat shot, but it's really calm. It's it's a little bit too wristy for my flavor. Um, I, but I think just a little tweak to get some more arc on it. I don't I don't look at a guy who's unsalvageable at the free throw line, this, this guy should be able to be at least Rondo, you know? And, and, and to me, if he does that, just that, it's sort of like if the Blazers just become an average team, if Ben Sim or defensive team, if Ben Simmons just becomes an average free throw shooter and gets his confidence back because more than making the free throws, now he will, we just need him attacking the rim, right? We need him not afraid of going to the line. I still think he's a really good player. I just think I'm, I'm happy that this conversation has now finally come to its logical end point, which is Ben Simmons is what he is. I remember, I guess this was about four years ago, and I was doing this story on all of these first round um, non-shooting guards who've gone, not first round, lottery. And the list, I'm not going to remember them all off the top of my head, but it's long. Of all these, every team just kept taking these non-shooting guards, thinking that well, as soon as they develop a jump shot, all they got to do is develop a jump shot. And it's like taking a quarterback who can't throw and saying, once he learns to throw, he's going to be great. It's too big a part of the game. You can't weight it equally to other skills and say, well, he plays defense and he moves the ball well and he's got great energy, but he can't shoot. Those aren't equal skills. The, the, the shooting is worth like three, right? And so you had Alfred Payton and, and, uh, Ricky Rubio and Emmanuel Moutier and Chris Dunn and uh, Shabazz Muhammad. And it, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but they, uh, uh, the Knicks guy, Nilakina, And they just kept taking these guards. So I was doing this story on why teams keep doing this. Um, and I was talking to Sean Livingston, one of the smartest guys, everybody says, right, in the NBA. And he talked to me for like 20 minutes. And I'll never forget. I think this might have been Simmons' rookie year maybe his second year. And I remember, and Sean was agreeing with me. He was saying in today's game, you know, you, you just, you can't be a superstar without being able to shoot as a perimeter player. And, and I said, well, what about Simmons? And he says, there's an exception to every rule. So I said, so Simmons is the exception. He said, Ben Simmons is the exception. And that's how everybody felt about him. That he was the exception that because of all the things that he does and people have held to this narrative. And so I'm happy that this conversation has now finally come to the logical place where he's not an exception. He is the rule. He's going to hold your offense back, except for in a specific set of circumstances. He's not going to play good enough defense to make up for what he can't do in the playoffs. And he needs to be on a team that can maximize the things that he can do because he is not a unicorn. He was talked about as a unicorn. He is not a unicorn. And now we can logically go into this and say, where does he fit? Where can he help with what he can do? And you get him to a place like Portland, he can concentrate on what he can do and forget about what he can't. 
Somebody else will take care of that. And in that regard, to circle back where we started, I think he can have an, an Andrew Wiggins type resuscitation, if you will. I think he can get to Portland and be what he is, be a stretch five, be a stretch four, a playmaking four. To your point, be the over-the-top play. I mean, in, a, in an offense like Portland, you need two things. You need shooting around Lillard, and you need a playmaking four. Oh, my God, do they need a playmaking four. For years, I've been lobbying for – and even Aaron Gordon, who's not a great playmaker, but it was like, just get the guy. Something so that he can pass out of these traps and make somebody that can exploit a four-on-three situation. I wanted them to get Kevin Love. I wanted them to get Blake Griffin. Anybody that can at least capably do that. Ben Simmons can more than capably do that. And that's, what do they need? Defense and a playmaking four. That, and it's like, oh my God, do the deal. And then all these inadequacies that Ben Simmons has suddenly become, I don't want to say irrelevant, but far less detrimental. Brad, I have delivered a lot of monologues on this podcast. As Colin can attest, I once talked about Kyle Lowry for seven uninterrupted minutes. I think you just topped me. I think that's the best monologue in the history of this podcast. And I think I'm it's sorry. the right place to close, right? Like we started with Portland for a reason. Portland is the obvious trade here. I yes. think there are issues. Like I think if Philly isn't getting Covington, they have some questions on defense. I don't think they'd like getting an older guy. I think if Portland is giving up Covington, then you wonder how big the upgrade is. But like these are small things that can be worked out with further moves. This is the easy one, right? Like, if Philly's going to do this, I can't see anything better on the table. Maybe you wait for Portland to get desperate on Lillard. Maybe you wait for Washington to maybe get desperate on Peel. But, like, yeah, I, mean, I don't think that's going to happen. You don't believe that. You, Portland, the whole city would have to, like, be underwater. There's no situation in which they could be de they could be desperate enough to trade Damian Lillard for Ben Simmons. There's That's out. So, like I said, I mean, the, the, to me, and this is maybe why I would be a bad GM. But the, the excitement, the impulse of, like, knowing that you're immediately a different team, I mean, it's so stale in Portland. And, and we know now what Philadelphia is. To be able to flip a switch immediately and change that equation would be too impulsive for me to pass up. It would be like, we can be a different team tomorrow. It's such an uphill climb for Portland to get out of the situation that they're in. It really is. This is like the one move that like you could like take the escalator and it might work. And if it doesn't, Lillard's out anyway. Right. You know it's not going to work with CJ. So Lillard's gone in a couple years. I'm his loyalty is going to run out. He's out in a couple years max. So this is like the only thing that in those next couple years actually gives you a shot. And really the, the same thing's true of Philadelphia. Like they're not a young team. Like, they got to win in the next couple of years. Otherwise, it's just going to be Embiid and like a washed up Harris that they can't trade. Well, that was the other question I wanted to ask. There aren't any Harris trades out there, right? Like, I can't think of any. No. I can think of a few teams that might like him, but there aren't any smart trades. Like, I think the Lakers would love to buy his Harris, but what do Kyle Kuzma and KCP really do for you? Not much. Like, I, I just, I don't think there's a Harris trade out there. Maybe there's a Maxi plus Bible plus a bunch of firsts for like some decent starting point guard out there. I, I just, I don't see anything else out there. I just, I think unless, the way to look yeah, at unless this. Unless you get Chris Paul, forget the decent point guard. Unless you get Chris Paul, um, 
a decent point guard is not going to make up for Ben Simmons. If you went and got somebody as great as Chris Paul, you could cover for him. But Can we you also can't just, just in general go back. So many teams, like how many teams would have won the championship if they traded for Chris Paul this year? Milwaukee um, would have. Philly would have. Phoenix, Phoenix might. Phoenix might. Yeah. <laughs> Phoenix might. The I Lakers mean, could have. Milwaukee, but they might win it anyway. Um, you know, Drew Holiday would have been a really interesting key. I don't think Philadelphia had the assets to get that done, but Drew Holiday would have been really interesting in Philadelphia. I jokingly suggested before the James Harden trade that Brooklyn should trade for Chris Paul. Like, that's not super crazy, right? Like, Chris Paul can defend above his position. He's played with other stars before. Like, you want him to have the ball in his hands, but, like, I think Brooklyn would have won the title if they traded for Chris Paul and he'd been healthy. <laughs> like, there are well, a lot of teams out there. The interesting conversation here is, I mean, I know that you you love to put your GM hat on, and that's like always been your kind of your 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 dream job is to end up being a GM. I don't I don't think that way so much. I more just kind of watch the game and analyze that particular game. But I think one thing I am starting to think more about from a GM perspective is like this whole timeline thing might be overrated. Everyone's yeah, you're trying to get your timeline right. But it's really difficult to tell when you're going to have a chance to win in the NBA. It's really almost impossible to project five years down. And so everybody said, oh, Chris Paul doesn't fit our timeline, you know, this and that. And, and it's like – and then we're, now we're saying, well, maybe the, maybe the Sixers don't really like CJ's age, you know. And it's like, listen, CJ can help you win next year. And that's, that's really as far as you can look. And so this, it's, it's, it's a – I think a bigger conversation than just through the, the lens of this trade, but timelines might be kind of going by the wayside, unless you're a complete clarity that you're rebuilding total clarity. Yeah. Then, then other than that, I think the timeline thing is kind of falling. You know, the Celtics, they might've done it too long. They've tried to yep. play the timeline thing. Now the Warriors are trying to play the timeline thing. And I don't think it really ever works that you have your cake and eat it too. Well, I mean, look at how far back we've been thinking about rosters this way. It started with LeBron going to the Heat, and there were teams that were acting like, let's wait out LeBron to the Heat, and when LeBron gets older, then we'll strike. Well, it's 10 years later, and LeBron is still here. Oh, let's wait out Kevin Durant. Like, we'll wait out the Warriors. Well, Kevin Durant is still here with a team that's almost as good in Brooklyn, and the Warriors are yeah. still here. Like, there's always going to be a super team. There's always going to be somebody There's too many good players, too, right? Like, right. you can't just wait out one or two good players now. Right. Like there's, there's too many good players. I think the only really important issue for timelines pertains to how happy can you keep your stars and when are they going to get unhappy? And like, we've danced around this. Nobody has dared bring it up. Joel Embiid's contract expires in two years. I yeah. don't think he'd ever leave Philly. I Why would you say that? Oh my God. Why would you suggest that he would somehow not leave Philly? Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Like, that's the point. That's like, crazy. we should have learned by now that everybody leaves. Yeah, but he, I can understand. Of course he would leave. Like, that's not even someone you should be trying to make right. that. Like, maybe Damian Lillard, you say, like, I don't Stephen think Curry. Maybe. Like, there's absolutely no – there is no reason that Joel Embiid would not leave Philadelphia if they're where they are right now in two years. In fact, I don't think there's any reason he would stay. There's, I mean, I think that he, he is so beloved there. Process thing, that whole I'm the process thing, that, that, that ain't blood. That ain't blood. I mean, I think Steph on the Warriors and Damian Lillard in the Blazers are the last men standing. And 
And I'm the not convinced guy. that Lillard is standing in a year or two. I think Curry is Absolutely the only not. one. The only guy left that I'm I would be willing to bet big things on not leaving is Steph. That's the only guy left. Joel and B, forget about it. I mean, this guy's already throwing Simmons under the bus. You know, let's not forget about his trash second half in game six and his huge turnover at the end of game seven. I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around in Philadelphia. You know, we don't need to go too much further in this, but I mean, Doc Rivers coached a tank series. I don't know how he – some of his lineup decisions, he's playing full bench lineups. Shake he's, Milton playing his first minutes in the fourth quarter of a game seven. Yeah, r- ridiculous. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. He's running offense through Maz instead of Curry when Curry is smoking red hot. He's playing Maz and Curry on the court at the same time when the, the Hawks are in the middle of a hack of Ben Simmons. Like, you don't need offense when you know they're hacking Simmons. Put all your defenders on the court. But we're rolling out Cork, Moss, and Curry while they're hacking. And there was a lot of bad decisions by Doc Rivers. And, and Budenholzer made awful decisions and has gotten away with it. Really, really weird coaching so far. There's a lot of blame to go around in Philly. Uh, okay, well, that's Brett, the last thing I want to say because it's 3.45 in the morning on the East Coast, and I feel bad for keeping you this late. But we got a, we've heard a lot about when Milwaukee loses, Rick Carlisle should go there. I know that Doc Rivers has four years left on his contract. If I were the Sixers and Rick Carlisle was willing to come, I'd say bye, Doc. Like, you had your chance and you you watched it. Doc Rivers did a bad job this series. Like, he's probably the biggest reason that they lost. I mean, you saw that ESPN graphic, right? How he's – like, I think he has, like, five of the nine biggest leads. It's unbelievable. He's he's won, I think, nine. I think yeah. nine total. I'd have to look at it the, the, when he's up in a series. Multiple 3-1 leads. Like, look, Doc Rivers has a lot of positive qualities as a coach. I think he did some smart things in the regular season. I agreed with not staggering Simmons and Embiid then because you got them more reps together. Players clearly love playing for him. I would just say the tactical stuff at this point is just no. it's beyond the pale. Like, you just well, – you know, I, I don't – I agree with that, and I find him to be – one of those old coaches. I mean, I had my fill of it with Mark Jackson and growing up as a Warriors fan. And and then finally we get a team and I feel like this is probably what Sixers fans feel like that. Like, finally we get a team and a star like the, our Curry was your Embiid. And it's like, we can win with this. And, and this coach is doing such stupid stuff. And the offense is so bad relative to what it could be with this superstar. I mean, like Warriors were like 12th in the league under March. It was just an abomination. And I'm watching this and going, oh, my God. And I think I kind of put Rivers in this camp of these old coaches that still just sort of think like it's a make-or-miss league. They don't have much sophistication to what they do. And most of their value is in that quote-unquote respect that they have from players. They were, they were former players. They can motivate type thing. I will say that I also thought the same thing about Nate McMillan. And it is not just because they're winning. He has completely abandoned his previous philosophies. He's switching. He's playing fast. He should shoot three. three sometimes. <laughs> so, so he's the counter to that. I lumped him into that category too, and he's changed. Uh, Doc doesn't seem to be changing a lot. I think he's a lot of name value at this point. I, I think this will be well, I mean, a ton of money. You know, this better, you know this better than me, but don't they have to, they'd have to pay a ton of money to fire yes. him, right? Yeah. He has four years and $32 million left on his contract. And I don't, I don't think they're still playing, paying Brown. I think his contract expired, 
but they're also paying the most expensive GM in basketball and Daryl Morey. So like that ownership group has always been willing to spend money. This would be, it would be the most, maybe the most expensive firing. I think Larry Brown with the Knicks was probably the most expensive firing before this would be up there. I, I just, I think back to this off season and how many contenders had a chance to hire Ty Lue and didn't. And like, look at what Ty Lue's done for the Clippers just by like being willing to adjust and being open-minded Man, like Philly with with Ty Lue. Even Ty Lue, like, what if let's just, what if Ty Lue, What if they would have lost to Utah, and then it's like Ty Lue just decided to not play Terrence Mann for two. Well, games. at that point, Kawhi was. Well, by the way, that's the best quote of the playoffs: is Terrence Mann didn't play because he's not in the rotation. Like that's all he right. Yeah. With. Well, I mean, like, so that's an explanation. They do stupid stuff. I mean, I don't. You know, Ty Lue does do some good stuff. I mean, I'll be honest. I've kind of questioned some of the stuff the Clippers have done. But on some level, that's what that's just to end this. That's why the Sixers have to go out and get a shot maker because right. that cure, that cures all. The coaches make mistakes. The rotations are weird. Whatever, but like they create these teams create shots. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff Nash was doing, to be honest with you. But like Kevin Durant, Durant is just he is curing all He's the, the sin. best player in the world, and that helps to have so, that guy. They're not going to get Kevin Durant, but they got to get somebody who can create shots, and and that's that's the bottom line. They got to trade Simmons. They got to be on the phone with Portland right now. Brad, it is three fifty in the morning on the East Coast, and you have as much energy as like I feel like you might have had a couple Red Bulls before this. You are just <laughs> raring to go. I feel like we could easily go for another several hours, but we've got to conclude mm-hmm. this at some point. So why not now? Everybody, you All can right. follow Brad. At Brad Bakken on CBS? Yeah, at Brad Bakken CBS. Um, follow us both on CBS Sports. I have a guest coming on tomorrow. Colin will be back later in the week, but that'll do it for us today. Go like, go subscribe, go do whatever it is you have to do to get people to listen, and we will be back later in the week. <laughs>